Okay, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for another day just to be alive. Breathing your air, we thank you for the food you give us and provide the, the light of the day, the air conditioning in this room, in this beautiful church. Help us not take anything for granted. All good things are gifts from you. Father, most of all, we're grateful eternally for your son, Jesus Christ, who left heaven willingly and became a man so that he could take our place as a man on the cross. And we thank you for you letting him go to fulfill such task for us. Father, we ask that you bless this time as we gather together as your children, as your students, to learn your word. We ask that your spirit guide us and direct us and teach us. We ask these things in Christ's precious name, by the power of your spirit. Amen. Why are the apostles so encouraging? By grace they were prepared, part 26. So on Sunday... Uh, the Spirit once again opened up, trying to change our perspective on something. Uh, obviously, we have perspective issues in this church, right? It's been such a big emphasis. But let's call it true learning. The humble person knows he needs review. Admits he probably missed a whole bunch the first time learning something. And is eager to see what he missed out on due to the flesh's intruding. Again, the humble person knows he needs review, admits he probably missed a whole bunch the first time learning something, you might say learning anything, and is eager to see what he missed out on due to the flesh's intruding. Have you ever caught yourself thinking about something else during Bible class? No. I know everyone's got to say yes to that. I mean, if you're human, you have to say yes to that, unless it's a five-minute class and you get lucky to be concentrating all five minutes. But an hour? Have you ever caught yourself drifting off? Little days, little heavy eyelids? How about this? Ever have a mental attitude sin against the teacher for something he said or the way he said it during class? Come on, all you angels out there up. Because we're human and because we let the flesh intrude, even on our sanctified time with the Lord, this is the reality of the situation. And those are only, only the ones you realize. Those are the only ones you actually catch yourself at. How about the other times? How many could those be? So how much of one message do we actually miss? For an hour lesson, you know, there's a lot of content, right? How much of one message do you actually miss? That's why some humble people in this congregation listen to each message again online. Because they know. <laughs> I know I didn't get it all the first time. And so, you know, Pastor brought out and the Spirit brought out on Sunday the value of the review on Tuesday and how to look at it a little differently uh, if you're not looking at it the right way. Because we're all wretched at times. We let the flesh intrude, even during Bible class, even in the subtlest of ways, thinking about ourselves or thinking about what's coming after 
class or, you know, how could he say that like that? I think he's talking to me, whatever the heck you're thinking about. Uh, obviously, it's the flesh, you know, poking at you. So thank God, ultimately, for divine patience, right? I mean, without whew, God's patience, we'd all just be consumed. But he's so, so patient. And we'll get to an example of that in a minute. But on the board, we saw on Sunday, divine patience. Never think that review isn't a good thing. It's one of the greatest blessings we have in time. God reveals his patience with us as we are delivered. Here's a perspective change to receive in humility. Review is one of the greatest blessings we have in time. Have you ever thought of review that way? One of the greatest blessings we have in time, but in reality, it's true because that's a revealing of God's patience with us. That's God saying, now you didn't get it all the first time. Are you listening? You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refresh you right now or I'm going to show you the right way. So it really is because it's, a, it's an exhibition of God's patience with us. So instead of arrogantly saying, oh no, review, maybe instead, instead you should be thinking, oh good, review. I know I need it, at least some of it. So back to God's patience. Um, it's really beyond our fathoming. The fact that he waits and waits and waits while we think arrogant thoughts and presumptuous thoughts. And it's only because of his patience that we can bring him glory. And of course, he's glorified in us when he sanctifies us. So that's the divine, supernatural patience of God that we shouldn't take lightly or for granted. We should be thankful for his patience every single day. Because eventually, there's a time for judgment. Eventually, our life ends, for example. Eventually, the world ends, for example. There has to be an eventual end. But God is so, so patient beyond what we can even imagine. Um, again, we'll get to that in a couple minutes. Let's review a parable from Sunday, which highlights the fact that we shouldn't mistake God's patience for approval of an ungodly, repentant life, uh, unrepentant lifestyle. We shouldn't mistake God's patience for approval of an ungodly, unrepentant lifestyle. So turn again in your Bibles to Luke 13, verse 1. That's a mistake a lot of foolish people make. They think because God is patient, because not, God's not judging me in any way right now, or disciplining me, that I must be doing okay. When in you know, your heart of hearts and your conscience you know what's right and what's wrong, but you refuse to repent because God is not intervening yet. So we all should uh, repent while we have the opportunity, even every day as believers. Luke 13, 1. Now on the same occasion, there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus said to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I don't know about you, but my flesh does that. We tend to judge, judge quickly. And you see someone or a group of people that, you know, get wiped out. You say, hey, what were they doing? Right? It's almost like your instinct. 
what, maybe they weren't doing the right thing or something like that, and we judge quickly. What does Jesus say in verse 3? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. In other words, you're all guilty sinners. Don't think you're not because your time hasn't come yet. If God is being patient and kind, kind to you, recognize that and repent while you have the opportunity. Verse 6. And Jesus began telling them this parable. A man had a fig tree which had been planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and did not find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, Behold, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? And he answered and said to him, Let it alone, sir, for this year too, until I dig around it and put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, cut it down. So there we see fruit as evidence of true faith and humility, or lack of fruit as, a lack of, as evidence of lack of true faith. Where there's no fruit, that's a sign that the heart is bad, as we've been learning. So on the board, regarding God's patience, the parable of the man and the fig tree in Luke 13 speaks to both God's divine patience and the Lord Jesus Christ's intercession on man's behalf. God waits patiently to save man. God waits and waits and waits patiently to save man. This is the Lord's heart at every phase of salvation. Not just when we're saved positionally, but also as he saves us during our sanctification. And Peter shared this same heart in a different way. After being personally trained by the Lord for three years, that's the neat thing about reading our Bibles, right? When we get to the letters of, to the church, uh, you know, later on in the New Testament, the apostles are really reiterating and expanding upon what Jesus taught them. And that's what we see in 2 Peter 3, verse 8. So turn to 2 Peter 3, verse 8. We see the same concept of divine patience. Second Peter 3, 8. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. So there, there we see God can't be patient forever, right? Eventually there's a day. 
Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? In other words, should you repent while you're alive, while you have the chance? Again, verse 11, Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat? But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth, in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation or deliverance, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you. But again in verse 15, regard the patience of our Lord as salvation and deliverance. Don't take it for granted. It's a very wonderful thing to uh, recognize and appreciate and to uh, use his patience as a uh, impetus to repent each and every day. So let's review a couple uh, wonderful passages from Sunday. Go to Psalm 103, verse 8. And this may be a test of humility for some of you. But if you look at it with fresh eyes, you'll get something new from it today. As is always the case when we reread Scripture. Psalm 103.8 The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger. There we see His patience. Slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His loving kindness towards those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. For He Himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. So there's another picture of God's patience in different wording. And one more verse. Go to uh, Psalm 145, verse 8. Psalm 145, verse 8. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and great in loving kindness. The Lord is good to all, and His mercies are over all His works. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and your godly ones shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power, to make known to the sons of men your mighty acts and the glory of the majesty of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord sustains all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. So if those passages don't humble us, I don't know what will. Again, on the board regarding God's patience, the parable 
of the man and the fig tree in Luke 13 speaks to both God's divine patience and the Lord Jesus Christ's intercession on man's behalf. God waits patiently to save man. So in our study, we've been observing the fact that the Lord himself was very patient to the apostles, even. And we've been encouraged by the apostles' faith and perseverance at times. But now we're talking about the patience of God towards the apostles while training them, uh, bearing with their failures and their lack of faith at times. Okay, so we kind of have both sides of the coin and both reasons to be encouraged by the apostles. So we respect and fear the Lord as he has an enduring patience with us too. Just like he was patient when he trained the apostles, I mean, we could say God's infinitely patient with us sometimes. As stubborn as we are, as um, relentless as we are in getting our own way or clinging to the flesh's ways, it's crazy when you think about it. But he has an enduring patience with us too, just like he did for the apostles. On the board, we saw patience and sanctification. God glorifies himself by sanctifying us. God glorifies himself by fulfilling his own desires in us. And since we are slow to learn, he must be slow to anger, divinely patient. He exercises patience that our flesh could never perform. Remember, the Bible says God's glory is seen in his grace and compassion. And we could say patience. He shows his unworthy creatures amazing grace. And that, that's God's glory. Uh, who else but the Lord is kind and patient towards those who repeatedly and directly sin against him? We're not talking about kind of sinning against somebody or you know, rubbing someone the wrong way. Directly sinning against somebody. So think about what your limit would be. How many times would you let someone spit in your face before you stopped being patient with them? Once? Twice? Maybe? Three times if you're really spiritual? If you're at least you're humbly filled with the Spirit? Right? I mean, if someone spits in your face, literally or figuratively, direct insult, direct sin against you, how many times are you willing to be patient with that person? Now think about how many times throughout human history man has sinned against God. Beyond counting. And yet we're still here. He hasn't consumed us. It is truly only something from God, supernatural. So this long-suffering patience is one of the signs of God's glory. That's what makes him the great God that we worship and you know follow and are thankful towards. So for an example of this, as a reminder, go to Exodus 33, verse 18. Exodus 33:18. Again, the long-suffering patience of God is a sign of his glory. Then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. 
And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. That was God's answer to Moses' request to see his glory. So the believer presses on, seeing God's grace and patience and compassion in his life, knowing God's good plans for him in the end, which cannot be denied or thwarted. Remember that. God's good plans for us, his destiny for us, the fact that we come out victorious and sanctified in the end by his grace, by his working on us, that cannot be denied or thwarted. That's going to happen for every believer, ultimately, one way or the other. So we praise God for that, that it's by things like his grace and patience that he gets us there. True faith is thankful for God's patience and unending fatherly love. True faith is thankful for God's patience and unending fatherly love every day. And so on the board, true faith endures, revealing his light in the end. That's the end of the story. That's our destiny. True faith endures, revealing his light in the end. Again, God brings glory to himself by sanctifying us. And he will do it. According to Philippians chapter 1 and 2, he will complete the good work in us. Because God changed the believer at salvation, the success rate in God bringing glory to himself is 100%. Just think about it. On the board, God's work never fails. If he saves you, he sanctifies you. No questions. No free will options for the believer. There's no such thing as a carnal Christian that is someone who thwarts God. To say there's a carnal Christian that can totally live against God and not follow Christ is to give people a false sense of eternal security. Just think about it from what we've been learning. Scripture reveals those who don't follow Christ were most likely never saved in the first place. They're arrogant apostates. There's no such thing as believers who totally turn their back on God and His ways and abandon the faith. There's no such thing in the Bible. It's an impossibility because when we're saved, God gives us a new heart. He literally changes us from the inside out, and he sets us on a new direction, which is towards Christ. And that's the condition, the new condition even, of the believer. He changes our hearts, and therefore our overall direction is towards the Lord, despite our failures at times. Again, as John MacArthur said, it's about direction, not perfection. The direction they are on towards Christ is a sign of the true believer. So, again, the believer's been changed by God. That's what happens when someone truly surrenders in faith and admits they can't do it themselves and admits they need Christ as their Lord and Savior. 
They've been changed by God, made into a new creature. And they're indwelled by God himself, now possessing the righteousness of Christ as well. So guess what? The believer now has God's power. It's now a matter of learning how to use it. Every believer, every true believer who surrendered to Christ has God's power inside of them now. But it's a matter of learning how to use it. And that's why we have the Word and the Spirit to sanctify us over time to bring God glory. So this came out from the Spirit on Sunday on the board regarding practical sanctification. The power already exists in you but the perspective doesn't. It turns out that perspective is the hindrance to sanctification, not power. If our perspective is skewed, we tend to uh, turn to that which we already know, naturally, which is the flesh's power to sanctify. Again, if our perspective is skewed, we tend to turn to that which we already know, naturally, the flesh's power to sanctify which is actually weakness. We think it's strength, but it's, of course, not. So in a way, once we're saved, we have to catch up to what God has done in us, experientially, because He's done everything in us. According to the Scriptures, when we're saved, He's placed us in union with Christ. We're indwelled by the Trinity. I mean, we could go on and on and on about the things given to us at the moment of salvation. But in a way, we now have to catch up to what God has already done in us. We have to get out of the way, listening to the Spirit instead of the flesh. And it's then we can experience the power He's given to us by grace and live a life to God's glory. That's why this is a process. It's a journey which requires patience over time. Patience over over time. There's a passage in the scriptures where it says the young child of a king owns everything, but he's still just like a slave until he comes of age. And when he comes of age, then he can handle the power. He knows how to use the power that he already possesses. But until he comes of age as he's still a child, he doesn't have the power, or he doesn't know how to use the power. He has it, but he doesn't know how to use the power. And so this journey is us being sanctified. God's already made it all available to us. We are learning how to use his armor, his weaponry, right? His tools. So again, this is a process that requires patience over time. This is how God designed life. So we need to be patient, even though we don't like patience. He's given us a whole lifetime. He says, I'll get you there, don't worry, just keep following me. Isn't that a relief to know all you have to do is keep following him? Instead of putting pressure on yourself, like you have to, I don't know, what, accomplish it yourself or figure it out yourself. He wants you to get on your knees every day and say, I can't figure it out. Show me. And with that humility, he can do great things in us and make us grow. So accept the fact that it's a journey, it's a process, and it requires patience over time. And God, in his perfect timing, will get you right where he wants you to be at different points in your life. 
And that's where humility comes in. On the board, a little more on practical sanctification. Humility allows us to access the power of God, whereas arrogance stubbornly holds on to old solutions to life's problems. You want to use, you want to be sanctified, you want to experience sanctification? Stay humble. Admit every day to God that you can't do it. And watch Him work. Humility allows us to access the power of God, whereas arrogance stubbornly holds on to old solutions to life's problems. And as we heard on Sunday, so much of our own sanctification is based on trust. And even trust is an issue of humility, really. When a person doesn't trust God, it's really arrogance, the flesh piping up and not giving God the credit he's due. So we have to turn away from trusting other things so we can lay all of our trust on God in every area of our lives, don't forget. Turn again to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, and we see this principle. God wants us to trust him in every area of our lives, in all of our ways. When we humble ourselves and trust God, He's free to bless us in a myriad of ways, both spiritually and physically. Look at Proverbs 3.5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Not some of your ways, not, not the ways that you think you need help, but the ways you think you're in control, don't acknowledge Him. Foolishness. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil, including your own solutions to life. That's evil. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. So on the board... This came out on Sunday quite a bit about the simple life. If our perspective is wrong, if our flesh is in control rather than the spirit, our lives become very complicated, frustrating, and void of peace. We can fake it, but we're only fooling ourselves. Surrender and be free. Surrender and be free. And remember, the strategy of your enemies is to complicate life, whereas Jesus simply wants to simplify it. The strategy of our enemies is to complicate life, to get us spun up, to get us to add things to our lives, you know, to get us to find our own solutions, to even complicate the solutions. To things, for example, that are... That are um, you know, solved by something as simple as forgiveness. But what do we do? We go around the tree, you know, and add these things to it. Where God's word says, just do this. But no, we're too stubborn. Remember, our enemies want to complicate our lives. 
They want us to fall back on our fleshly solutions that we're quote-unquote comfortable with. The more complicated our lives become, the more difficult God's plan seems to be. But God's plan is not difficult. It's extremely simple. It's extremely simple. The more we resign to that fact, you know, and the more we, we, we live that way out of humility, the more it's just going to, life's going to level out. It's not going to be the struggle. You're still going to have struggles, but even the struggles are going to be simple rather than complicated and complex and confusing. So confusion and complication in our lives means deception has hit us in some area of our lives. Again, just think about it for a minute. Confusion and complication in our lives means deception has hit us in some area of our lives. There's something we're not seeing. There's a trick from the kingdom of darkness that has caught us. We don't know what it is, maybe, but if your lives are getting confused and complicated, that's what's happened. We've fallen for a deception, a trap. Remember, the scripture says God is not a God of confusion. And on the board... Look at this verse in the NIV in 1 Corinthians 14.33. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. So measure your life based on that. Am I, you know, being deceived in a certain area? Am I giving in to lies from my flesh or from the world that's making me miserable and complicating things? But if you have peace in your life, you probably have simplicity. So if there's confusion and disorder in your life, a deception has crept in and led you astray in your thinking. So pray about it. Examine it. Ask God to show you where you're being deceived. Pastor gave an example on Sunday with a parable about a man who was deceived into thinking his family was being held at gunpoint when they really weren't. And because he believed they were, because he was deceived by some trickery, he ended up dying in a car accident while rushing home to save them. So on the board, beware of Satan's trickery. And he uses people a lot to do this. He ended up hurting himself because he listened to deceptive lies. He bought them as true when they were just smoke and mirrors. That's what the man in the parable did. He bought the lies, the trickery, hook, line, and sinker. And therefore, he destroyed himself. Now, that parable uh, Pastor told was a pretty, you know, compelling situation. And heck, it's probably happened. Similar things have probably happened in this world. So how do we avoid falling for a deception like that that seems so real? We only have two hopes. Any guesses? God's Word and God's Spirit. And humbling ourselves before those every day. That's the only way we're going to be steered away from the deceptions that we can, we can easily fall into.
And God's faithful, remember. He will give grace to the humble. So rest on that. Rest on that. Be like, if I do this one thing, if I stay on this path and I submit to the Word and the Spirit every day, God's got my back. I don't have to worry about the details. I don't have to worry about this problem, A, B, C, and D. You know what I mean? We, 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 we again, hyper-focus on our problems. If you do this one thing, God promises to work all things together for good in your life because you love Him. And that's the proof that you love Him. Because you obey His commands, you follow His word. So rest on that. Don't worry about Satan's trickery. Just be aware of it. Be alert. On the board, the simple life. Our enemies don't have any real power over us. Only that which he, uh, which we give to their cause. They use deception ingeniously to get us to inflict pain in our own lives. It's all smoke and mirrors. Don't buy the lies, for example, that movies and TV shows are trying to sell us. Don't buy them hook, line, and sinker like so many people do. Look at them all with a grain of salt at least. Even the quote-unquote good shows and good movies. Look at them all with a grain of salt at least rather than taking it in and all is truth, like almost not on guard. If you think about it, we way too easily open our hearts up when we watch something like TV or a movie or um, even things on the internet, whatever it might be. We way too easily open our hearts up without paying attention and realize where the source of this thing is coming from in the first place which is the devil's world. We want to veg out in front of the TV, right? We don't want to be on guard after a long day or we just want to relax and, you know, be entertained for a little bit. But if you're unguarded, you're too open for the crooked messages that come at us through the media. For some of us, we may need to stop with TV altogether, but that's between you and the Lord. But here's the Spirit's warning about Satan's trickery again on the board regarding passively receiving from TV and Internet. Passively receiving. We sit there openly taking things in, often because they're appealing to the eye or tickling to the ear, but they're often lies from the kingdom of darkness trying to confuse and complicate your thinking about life. Even the quote-unquote good shows. Trying to confuse and complicate your thinking about life. I often think about if we were living back in whatever, the early, early America, right, without media, and how the day was working and family and sticking together and God's Word and the simplicity and purity of that life, that process, was freeing and peaceful and uncomplicated. But now we have things, uh, largely through the media, to try to confuse and complicate our thinking about life, when really it can be extremely simple. 
But we have to be on guard, folks. Don't, don't be foolish and passively receive from sources that aren't godly. At least look at them all with a grain of salt and watch out for the lies. So may we choose to turn away from our own solutions in life as well and from the world's suggestions on how to handle life, which are packed into the media. So it depends what we listen to. It depends what we listen to, whether we buy the lies or not, or whether we complicate life or not. Remember our old friend from last week on the board. Jesus said in Luke 8:18, So take care how you listen. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, shall be taken away from him. This is Jesus' own warning to all of us. I suggest we all take it to heart and stop listening to the world so blindly sometimes. Something that also came out on Sunday, one of the greatest ways our enemies deceive us is to get us to forsake God's grace in our lives. Forget about His grace. Forget about His patience. Even forsake His grace, thinking poorly about God or doubting God and that He has our best interest in mind. But here's a question. Why can't we remember that this is the devil's world that we live in right now? We so easily forget. Why don't we remember that Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. So on the board, don't doubt God's grace, ever. That's a dangling lie from the tempter himself, as in Genesis 3.1. Okay? Satan's just holding it up there like this. Don't believe God's grace. Doubt it at least a little bit. In Genesis 3.1, the, the serpent said, did God really say such and such? It's not so much the exact same wording as doubting God's grace, but it's putting doubt. He puts doubt in our minds. So as life is unfair at times, as we don't understand why certain things happen, if you want to blame somebody, blame the devil's world. But don't ever doubt God's grace. It's a dangling lie from the tempter himself. Just remember also our calling in this world. What's our calling? To bring God glory despite the lies and the attacks in this fallen world, which are all Satan's fault, by the way. Remember our calling. Did God say, I'm going to put you on heaven, I'm going to save you so that you can have heaven on earth? Or did God say, I'm going to put you on earth and I'm going to save you so that you can bring me glory and rescue some souls before I take you to heaven. Because right now is a battle going on. So why do we have wrong expectations about our life in this world? Let's, uh, you know, tighten our belt and be like, it's mission time, you know? That's why we're here, period. In America, we're so used to thinking about our comforts. But... Let's get to work. Let's be soldiers, right? Let's unite. We're in a battle for the souls of men. That's been on my mind the last week or so. We're in a battle for the souls of men, everybody. 
I mean, this is like short. This, this life is short. Everyone's life is short. They don't know it yet. We're in a battle for the souls of men. And God is patient, very patient. But there will come a time. So I hope we keep embracing these different themes the Spirit's given us as we're going through this series on the apostles and their preparation. So as we begin to close on the board, here's our ongoing running framework, sending the apostles out. Jesus called them, Jesus trained them, and Jesus sent them out. And we're still on the second point here. And we began looking at obstacles Jesus faced when training up the apostles. On the board, we're talking about what the apostles lacked, which includes things like understanding, humility, faith, commitment, and power. Sound familiar? We all lack those things. So let's be encouraged by the apostles and God's patience with them as they learned. Go again to Matthew 16, verse 15. Matthew 16, 15. I mean, thank God for the apostles, the example they give us. I mean, if you think about it, if our only example was Jesus, it would might might be a little discouraging, like, I can't, I can't do what he did, right? But God used these people, these men, who were not able, were not educated, as we know. And he did great things with them and through them. Matthew 16, 15. The apostles lacked understanding. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. So first of all, on the board, we have Peter, Petros, a chip off the old block. What an amazing bit of encouragement Peter received from the rock, Jesus Christ. The apostles were among the first living stones, 1 Peter 2.5, but Christ was the cornerstone in 1 Peter 2.6-7. through 7. Interesting that Peter wrote that about being a living stone, with the living stones when he was called the little stone himself. So look what happens after this awesome promotion for Peter. What often happens when we experience victory or promotion? Don't we get puffed up? Don't we get a little bit familiar? A little bit arrogant? Forgetting where we came from? And so we do or say stupid things from our newfound power or victory? Well, happened to Peter too. Look at verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. 
saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Wow. Some people might say, Come on, Peter. How could you do that? But we should be encouraged. After his promotion, after, after the Lord said, I'm going to build my church around you. I'm going to use you in an amazing way. And then this he did. When I think of all the times I've put my foot in my mouth, some of you know that's pretty often, or become puffed up or arrogant, I recognize those times in my life, but I don't become condemned about them because Peter did it. The apostles did it too. And the Lord still loved them and guided them through it all with eternal patience. So we should be extremely encouraged. God's patience is perfect and enduring towards those who believe. Amen? It's awesome. So let's look at one more passage of encouragement from the slow-to-learn apostles. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Luke 18, verse 31. <clears throat> then Jesus took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem. And all things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and mistreated and spit upon. And after they have scourged him, they will kill him, and the third day he will rise again. But the disciples understood none of these things, and the meaning of this statement was hidden from them. And they did not comprehend the things that were said. So again on the board regarding the fact that they understood none of these things, MacDonald says the following, The reason is probably this. Their minds were so filled with thoughts of a temporal deliverer who would rescue them from the yoke of Rome and set up the kingdom immediately that they refused to entertain any other program. They must have been like, what is he talking about? I know he's the Messiah, he's the king, he's going he's gonna to rule right now. What is he talking about? Let, let's forget about that. I refuse to entertain that. I don't want to entertain that. So I'm going to refuse to entertain that. Kind of like something we call denial. Denial is a defense mechanism that the flesh uses to block out the truths of God when we don't want to hear it. So be on guard. Remember, seeing it all as truth means accepting truth no matter what it is. Even what Jesus said here about his upcoming death. Seeing it all as truth means accepting truth no matter what it is. And accepting the truth will set us free, despite whether it's uncomfortable to us or not. MacDonald puts it, a little bit of a different way, but it seems he's talking about denial. On the board, he goes on to say, we often believe what we want to believe and resist the truth if it does not fit into our preconceived notions. 
We all do that, we know. Just like the apostles. So again in Luke 18, 34. But the disciples understood none of these things, and the meaning of this statement was hidden from them, and they did not comprehend the things that were said. And so, let's close this way on the board. We have hope. We have hope. We know we still carry around the flesh, but God is patient, and He continues training us all the more by grace. Just like He did with the apostles. Just like He did with these guys who understood none of what He was saying. We know we still carry around the flesh, but God is patient, and He continues training us all the more by grace. We have hope. We always have hope as long as we have Him and we're following Him. All right, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word, Your grace, Your mercy, and Your patience. We thank You for teaching us one day at a time. We thank You for just asking for our humility. And we thank You for doing all the work in us through Your Spirit and Your Word, supernaturally sanctifying us and bringing glory to yourself. We thank you for being part of your plan and your program for our lives. Father, we ask that you bless us all as we go and help us bring these truths out to a lost and dying world that needs it so desperately. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of your Spirit. Amen.